You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Monster Talk is supported by listeners like you. Find out how you can contribute via Patreon or with reviews at monstertalk.org forward slash support. Your contributions, large or small, make a huge difference. Thanks. If you're not into UFO lore, then you may only know the Men in Black from the Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones movie franchise. But the original stories and the evolving lore around these mysterious, intimidating, and confounding people? Do do we call them people? I mean, sometimes they're described as being human in appearance, but often only as close to human. Sometimes they seem to appear from nowhere only to disappear soon after. Perhaps instead of lips, they just have a slit accented by bright red lipsticks. Perhaps mid-interrogation, they'll run out of energy and say they have to leave. I spent some time digging into the primary sources for this few, this wacky few, this band of bothers. I'm Blake Smith, and together with my co-host Karen Stolzno, we'll be discussing the mystery of the men in black. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant, hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Dog. Welcome back, Karen. All right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Blake Smith. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, we've always wanted you on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, though? I, I hope by now the listeners know who I am, but uh, I am a yeah. Uh, I'm a skeptic, and I'm a, 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 a like you, a, a amateur researcher into matters paranormal. Um, mm-hmm. or allegedly paranormal because I've, as I mentioned, I'm skeptical. But uh, I, I, I just every now and then I take, take this leap off a. Uh, it's just like the high dive when I was a kid. I used to be scared to go up the high dive, or I would go up the high dive and then I couldn't jump. I still am. Yeah, I just it wasn't my thing. Even when I was in the Navy, I didn't want to jump off the high dive, and they make you. Um, I remember this is a great story. I in boot camp, you have to jump <laughs> off the high dive, and so I jump off, and I'm just sort of treading water, and uh, they have like these uh, uh, EOD oh, did you, like 
special forces people there to like pull out the, the sailors you can't swim with a flip. And uh, one Hello. of them comes over and says, you look like you're struggling and I'm going to take you back. And so I'm like, no, no, I got it. And so I was trying to swim and she's trying to pull me. She's, it's, it was a lady. And, oh. uh, and she said, look, I'm going to rescue you. If you don't stop moving, I'm going to choke you out and then rescue you. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> Like, okay. Did you actually dive into the water, or did you do a belly flop? Um, I didn't belly. I just dove feet first. It was it was pretty scary. Okay. I, it was the first time I ever went off a yeah. high dive. Uh, yeah, that was stupid. Uh, it, you oh, know, and and, and what happened? This show. Every time we have to be the experts, like it's our research, I suddenly feel like I'm back on the top of that high dive because I'm so paranoid about saying something that's not true or just wrong or whatever. And I don't know why I get so hung up on that because I listen to other people's podcasts. They don't worry about being right that much. <laughs> like, no, they, they, they really don't. That's the majority of them. And, and I feel Even so bad because I get so uptight about it. I'll be gentle on you. <laughs> <laughs> be gen- that's wonderful, yeah. Be gentle and don't encourage me. That's exactly what my wife would suggest, right? <laughs> okay. Well, let's get started. So right, we're going to be it. talking about the, the men in black today, the MIB. Yes. Uh, so what sparked your interest in this topic? You know, uh, it's been something that's popped up in UFO lore for as long as I've been reading UFO lore, which is a long time. In 1990, before I went off to the Navy, one of my friends, uh, Ted Skirvin, I'm going to go and call him out. He doesn't listen to the show. But uh, (laughs) we're going out tomorrow for the first time in ages. Not on a date, but we're going to go do one of those escape the room things. Anyway, so uh, here's a shout out to Ted, who never listens to my show. Uh, But Ted and I went on a UFO road trip in 97. That was my big paranormal road trip uh, that I've written about. But um, Mm -hmm. in 1990, right before I went off to the Navy, Ted showed me these comic books he had collected uh, that were based on the men in black. And I thought, well, that's... Fringe niche kind of stuff, and thought no, nothing would ever come of it. And then after I got out of the Navy, it wasn't long before the Men in Black movies came out, and they've right. uh, they became such a big part of uh, uh, pop culture that they've unfortunately, I think. Well, I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate. It doesn't really matter. They've sort of clouded what it means to be a Man in Black or what, what, who the yeah, Men in Black are. The real Men in Black, right? Right. They're not like the real ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it was. Well, I suppose we'll get into that a bit a bit later, anyway. You know, it's kind of like I like Carrie and the Hendersons, but it's not exactly you know Bigfoot lore as it really is within the. Really, film. The, you know, <laughs> it's weird how you can mix fiction and allegedly fact, right? And, you know, and I guess this is Definitely. part of the, the hybridization, syncretism stuff we keep talking about on the show, where mm-hmm. anything that's out there. Uh, an idea will just get uh, it'll get repeated, riffed on, twisted, reworked, uh, you know, smoothed out until it becomes mythology. And I think that's what yeah, happened. And then, yeah. Then some are more salient than others, or, or more popular than others. Absolutely. And 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 what's become sort of the pop culture Men in Black is so different from the original Men in Black that I I thought it was worth digging into the source material. So that's that's sure. I. I that's hard because a lot of you – know, I think we've mentioned before on the show, the old uh, UFO stuff from the 50s uh, is a lot different from modern uh, re, you know, stories. Mm-hmm. Because, and it's, it's changed um, this because I think it's a feedback loop. And you know, every time it goes back through the machine, it comes out a little smoother and a little more interesting. And you know, new elements may get added, and if they stick, they become part of the lore. And if they don't, they, they fall off. Um, yeah, oh, it's absolutely the case with the Men in Black. Yeah, so so um, 
You want to so, go over the history of it? Yeah, let's yeah. Let, yeah, let's go over a little bit of the history, and I know that that's a kind of broad it is, but uh, request I, I, there. So what I tried maybe, to do was maybe. yeah, I'll, I'll go back down to what I what I wanted to do was go back to primary sources, and okay, good. Uh, so in 1951, there's this guy named Albert Bender. Um, <laughs> Who is an interesting fellow? He's a, a, a timekeeper at a scissor manufacturing company, like a, a, one of the biggest shears manufacturing companies, I think. Uh, and, interesting. It, and so he gets really interested in UFOs and he founds this club called the International Flying Saucer Bureau, which sounds very, you know, official. And, um, he has a uh, a saucer magazine that goes with it. Sort of, a, it was a, it was a fanzine. Let's be honest. It was. I know a lot of our listeners will be too old to know what fanzines were, but before web pages, people used to write up their own little newspapers, newsletters, and too, or too young, or too young. Did I say too old? Oh my yeah. god! See, th- th- there's the first mistake. Yeah, I'm going to leave that oh in. But <laughs> well, at least we we, we See, you self corrected live so fact checking. People are too young. I'm too old. People are too young to remember. <laughs> people are too young to remember fanzines. I think a lot of people are, but they were uh, mm-hmm. they were really popular. But they actually go back a long way. I mean. Um, let's throw out Lovecraft. Lovecraft was involved with an amateur news society. They were effectively a fanzine. Uh, It's just a lot of people writing news stories and sharing their newsletters with each other. So this idea of like uh, mail service newsletters as a business or as a hobby was, was, uh, was, it had been around, but uh, Bender's becomes pretty popular. He starts to grow and he he calls himself the, he calls it the international flying saucer bureau. And they actually, and this, so this was before he, had any kind of signing yeah yeah no he had nothing he was just interested in the topic uh i mean to tell you a little bit about bender uh, he lived with his stepfather and he like had the upstairs the attic area and there's like a funny (laughs) local news story Sounds just like today well yeah (laughs) instead of your 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 parents basement it's your step-parents attic right but uh Mm he you know he had a job he was you know he was out there living a normal life but he also had all these kind of bizarre interests uh, by, I mean, they're not bizarre to you and me, but for the time he was interested in like horror movies and the macabre and he would have like a haunted house in his attic. So like he had, you know, monster movie posters and ghouls and, you know, spiders that would drop down from the ceilings and he would bring in people from the office. and <laughs> like do- most of us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it is like literally all my best friends, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was odd enough at the time that it made like a local, yeah. like of local interest news story. Right. So. Oh. But no, he seemed like he would be a fun person to hang out with. Uh, definitely. Well, you, yeah, you bender. Yeah, he was a drinker. <laughs> I don't know if he drank things and bit things like on uh, Futurama, but uh, <laughs> he, he are going on a bender. Yeah, so he he. Um, yeah, yeah. So in 1952, uh, after what seemed like a very successful growth of his newsletter, he'd gotten it up. He said it had grown to like really successful, and in other stories, I heard him say it had got up to 600 subscribers. Now. Uh, in a world with no internet, uh, I imagine having a letter with newsletter with 600 subscribers is actually pretty good, you know. Um, Comparable to some uh, skeptical magazines. Yeah, right yeah. Now. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> it, if in, in, in today's dollars, that would be like 50,000 listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big circulation. <laughs> so it, it was popular. Um, and one of the members of it was a guy named Gray Barker, and we'll talk about him a little bit more. But 
okay. what happens is the IFSB publishes an issue where he says that he has figured out the secret behind the flying saucers and he's going to explain everything in the next hmm. issue. And then he never does. And, oh. and all of his <laughs> friends want to know what happened. So he has people coming to his house and writing him letters and like, what, what happened? And he won't tell them anything. He, he won't explain it. He just says Is he can't. A, just a great marketing strategy, maybe? You would think so, but but hang tight because uh, that's not exactly what it was. <laughs> there is such an interest in this that other people who are publishing magazines at the time, or I shouldn't say magazines, fanzines or newsletters, mm-hmm. including Jim Mosley, who we've talked about briefly on the show before. Jim Mosley, uh, it was uh, he published a thing called Saucer Smear and. Uh, he had been involved. He used to hang out with James Randi and go looting graves together in South America. He's an interesting character. I got to talk to yes. him when we were doing the Watertown ghost research because he knew uh, one of the people who was involved in that matter. Um, but but Mosley uh, uh, was a – how do I put it? He was a character too. He, he liked to make fun of the, the field as much as he liked studying it. So – in fact, he called it the ufology as he got older instead of ufology. Um, but 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 he he spoofed this whole thing in his own magazine. He said, "I also have figured out the entire secret to the saucer, you know, and I'm going to explain everything in the next issue." And in the next issue, he was like, "Oh yeah, that there was some uh, issue, you know, it, it it didn't work out, right?" He 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 doesn't explain that it was a spoof, but he backs away from ex- having an explanation. Right, what a cliffhanger, though. Yeah, no, but it was, you know, he's really messing with people who who were really upset about this. So a lot of people were very upset. In fact, other people in the IFSB, uh, like there was a guy in the Australia branch who said that he had also been approached by people and now couldn't talk about it. He wouldn't elaborate. So in um, this is in 52. In 1956, Mm -hmm. now, Gray Barker poses a lot of questions about this. Gray Barker was an early member of the IFSB. And he had his own newsletter, uh, and in his, uh, he had Saucerian Publishing, uh, the Saucerian Review, and he also published books. And in 1956, he wrote a book called They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, which is all about okay, people they. in the – They. Yeah, it was all about the people in the – Well, the, the they who knew too much were all ufologists who had mm-hmm. been approached by strangers who told them – not to say anymore. So it's like these. Who are these mysterious people? Well, they didn't people? have a name at this point. They weren't they the men in black at this point, right? They were not the men in black at this point. So, mm-hmm. but it's a really good book. It's very interesting, and and he wants to know what happened to Bender, and he mm-hmm. inside the book and outside the book he pressures Bender to come clean with the story. He basically says, "Hey Bender, everybody wants to know your story. You should write a book." And he won't do it, so he does right. his own book. Eventually. <laughs> Uh, in 1963, Bender, wow. Bender publishes his own book uh, called The Flying Saucers and the Three Men. And this is the official explanation for what was going on. But it's nothing like three, you would three expect. Three wise men. It, it, that, would be, it, that would be a step towards the more believable. What? <laughs> if three guys on camels had showed up. I could at least kind of believe that story, but no, I, I don't want to. I don't want to mock Bender because I, I think he was. He seems very sincere in what he wrote. 
But what he actually yeah, a lot of people often are with these stories. Yeah, and again, like I say, Bender seems very likable. But as he describes his story, he's describing it like I can understand why nobody would believe this. But what happened was mm-hmm. these three people appear in his bedroom, and they've got glowing eyes, and they tell him mm-hmm. they need to talk to him, and they basically give him this little disc of metal, and then he okay. can use the disc of metal to communicate with them. Or they can send a message to him through the piece of metal saying they're going to commu- communicate with him. And okay. it's you have to get through the whole book to find out what's going on because you don't know. They're not from the government because government uh, employees, as much as I love the government, they don't have the ability to teleport into your bedroom <laughs> and mess with your mind or give you massive headaches. As far as you know. As far as I know. <laughs> Everything about Bender's story sounds like he was having – some kind of psychotic or seizure episode. I mean, he always gets these terrible headaches. Nobody sees the stuff mm-hmm. but him. Um, mm. It's peculiar, but ultimately, it's very different to the modern stories too. No, it is very different, and it, it's very clear early on that whatever's going on is is not government agents. It's not human beings. It's something else. And by the end of the book, like he reveals aliens. it's aliens. It's aliens, and they've set up a secret base in Antarctica. And they've decided to let Bender know under the condition that he tells no one. And at the end of the book, he explains that he had to keep this secret. And if he ever even thought about trying to tell somebody, he'd get this massive headache and couldn't talk about it. And ultimately, okay. even even he got married and he wouldn't tell his wife about what the answer was. Instead, he gave her like a list of possible answers and let her pick. But none of the possible answers were the real <laughs> one. And, and she oh, stays shit. with him, which, bless her heart, what a saint. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she believed him. <laughs> she, I don't know if she believed him, but she stayed with him. So that's nice. Oh, yeah. It, it sounds so different to the modern stories and like something psychological was going on there. It sure seemed like it. So ultimately, the, these aliens are on Earth and they're taking in, uh, something, some minerals or something from the ocean. And then they're reducing mm-hmm. it down to little cubes and it's vital to their propulsion systems, and then they're going to leave. And when they leave, they finally tell him, okay, well, you can do no harm because we're out of here. And so now he's like, well... And then you can tell his story. I can tell the story, but now it's 1963, the aliens have left, so anybody else who sees (laughs) a UFO, I I have no explanation for that. You know what I mean? It's a little (laughs) weird, right? (laughs) Yeah. So, in um, 1975, John Keel's book, The Mothman Prophecies, also... Mm -hmm has similar characters. There's these people showing up in Point Pleasant who are very mysterious. It's like they don't seem to understand how to eat food or how to get a drink of water or... Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's very similar in a lot of the uh, Men in Black lore. They, they, they come and tell you... So first of all, I should say, in a lot of the stories, they don't tell you anything. They ask you questions. But they're peculiar questions. Or then they don't seem like they know how basic Earth things work, like how does a door work, or or ha- ha- what is Jello? How do you eat steak? You know, all the all these kind of things. And do they ever communicate telepathically? Oh, for sure they do. Verbally? Yeah, all of okay. uh, Bender's stuff was telepathic, and also it okay, should be noted the, that the metal piece of metal. Yeah, and, and he says that the, another kind of cool thing is the. It seems a little Lovecraftian. In fact, he, he, he they've got this secret base in Antarctica kind of like the in, the in the Mountains of Madness. And when he's seeing them as human beings, well, they look awesome, right? They, they're all very fit wow. looking. And, and at one point, there's this kind of, I don't want to say it's erotic. It's, it's, 
it's clinically detached yet kind of erotic where these women come in and have to like rub lotion all over his body but he never he never <laughs> describes anything sexual about it but it's it's a peculiar detail that he the doesn't undertones of it. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly i'm not going to say anything sexual happened but i got a full body massage by a lot of ladies you know <laughs> <laughs> so well make- that raises <laughs> one question just with the, the gamut of sightings and uh, that the people have had over the years, what do they supposedly look like? Because I've heard of different descriptions that they're usually bald or they don't have eyebrows or they've got a weird plastic-like skin. Well, th- that's where it gets really weird. Bender says they look like humans, but at one point he like is able to see through the illusion and he sees what they really look like. And they're horrific. They look like uh, the Flatwoods monster. Uh, which was uh, oh. one of the weird uh, creatures seen in, in West Virginia. It predates the Kentucky Goblins by a little bit, but it was probably one of the first okay. big alien UFO monster sightings. Um, so they initially had some kind of costume then, and, and then they revealed their true self. I got the impression it was telepathic, like he was being oh. forced to see the sexy, sort of uh, uh, classic contacty, handsome earthling kind of look. But under the, mm-hmm. under the okay. hood, they were all monster all the way down. Uh, wow. Yeah, and so uh, they and they seemed a little bit menacing. I mean, they, the implications mm-hmm. were that you know they could destroy the Earth if they want to, but right now they're just peacefully grabbing their stuff and getting out of here. You know, they're just looting, right. So looting the, the, the evil alien story. Yeah, and it was a little <laughs> unclear. I mean, you know, at the here's one of those scientific things that bug me. When the UFOs were in in the 50s and 60s, the mm-hmm. They call it the ETH in the ufology field, the extraterrestrial hypothesis. That was the main thing. Were they coming from Mars? Were they coming from Jupiter? Were they coming, mm-hmm. you know, where, where in our solar system were they coming from? And then later on, it becomes apparent, the more we explore space and learn about uh, our solar system and the scope of the universe, that it's very unlikely we're being visited by, by anybody from outside the Anything solar system, but the planets they're supposed close. to come from don't, they don't suit it. They're, they're unsuitable for life. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. uh, our kind of life, anyway, right. Ex- well said, well said. So, uh, you know, just lots of indicators that, that nothing like we, w- nothing that lived on those planets would be able to survive here if there was anything on those planets, but life as we understand it can't survive there. Um, right. So, so the, the legends change. They become more magic-oriented, fantasy-oriented, uh, uh, ultra-dimensional, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And how did they evolve then in their appearance to today's uh, stereotype or generalization where they're more humanoid or – Yeah, I mean, they, the black suits and black cars thing seem to be a common theme in the folklore. And then by the time it gets mm-hmm. to the comic book, that sort of cements it uh, – you know, uh, a lot of times it would be a black Cadillac, which is uh, speaking of this whole ultra dimensional, uh, ultra terrestrial hypothesis thing. Multiple authors have implied that the men in black don't have to be uh, a government agency or aliens. They could be demonic mm-hmm. entities. Uh, so <laughs> I, okay. I, which I because that allows you to extend the folklore back before the Albert Bender incident, because now you can say anybody who shows up with vaguely paranormal powers uh, on a black horse, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in a black carriage, uh, oh. th- this sort mm-hmm. of fits in with uh, images of the devil or, or the demonic. And then a lot of their what ability. About, um... Oh, Bender in about... particular smelled sulfur every time they appeared. How, how demonic is that? So, 
Interesting, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, and I wonder if there's some kind of link to uh, the Grim Reaper as well or death. Yeah, I, I mean, it, all of that sort of dark mythology seems, the dark folklore seems mm-hmm. to tie into these themes of, you know, black clothes arriving at night, um, behaving unusually. Right. Um, and even mm-hmm. with, with Bender, they even forced him into a deal where he couldn't, uh, he, a deal he couldn't break. If he tried to break it, he would get like very horrific physical effects. And, uh, very you know, satanic, man. Yeah, well, I mean, it does, I, I can see why someone will make that leap. I, but mm-hmm. I'll tell you something it reminds me of even more is uh, Slenderman. Um, and, beca- and because Slenderman, we know, was an entirely fictional construct. But since it, be- it, since it was created. So they say. Well, I, I, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> so, I mean, you could say specifically that, that the first images of Slenderman were created um, for the, was, I think it was the Something Awful forums online. But, but since that time... Slenderman has gone off into the realm of folklore, and people see Slenderman, mm-hmm. and people report on Slenderman. Same thing with the Black Eyed Kids. They've had a little longer to gestate, but the Black Eyed Kids all start with one online report, and then from there they spread out and become this fairly consistent narrative about these kids with black eyes, like completely black eyes, showing up at your door. And the same thing happens with the Men in Black. It gets into the UFO folklore. And it spreads, and people report having it happen. I imagine some of those are jokes, and some of them are not. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Right. Um, well, what about uh, the idea that they could be androids or robots of some kind? Yeah, I think those variants of the stories have definitely showed up in the folklore. Uh, I, I haven't seen them in what I would call any primary sources. I mean, I mean, okay. anecdotally, uh, that's come up where people have said that because they don't act human. How can I explain it? You know, it's so peculiar. Are they aliens? Are they robots? Are they demons? Are Mm -hmm. they just uh, variations on a theme? Yeah. Yeah. And and as a skeptic, you know what? I'm always frustrated by this because I don't see any reason to believe these are real things that are happening. Uh, With Mm -hmm. one exception, there haven't really been any photo. Well, maybe two exceptions. There haven't really been any good photos to suggest you know real men in black incidents there's a one photo of a guy who people say was a men in black and then there was one video of some people uh in a hotel lobby but that could I've easily have been one. yeah that yeah. could easily have it's been like the blues a, brothers exactly <laughs> and it, <laughs> possibly the men in black possibly a, a blues brothers cosplay good point <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i don't know so we, what if they had ordered a loaf of bread and a, and a whole fried chicken, I think we could tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of videos and photographs, uh, what kind of evidence exists for the men in black? Lots and Is lots of any? anecdotes, Karen. Lots and lots of anecdotes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and that's really about it. Uh, the, what's I guess one of the consistent things is how inconsistent they are, except for their clothing and rides. Um, right. The uh, they they just they just show up in people's stories and people are warned, mm-hmm. you know, you said too much or what would happen if this, you know, uh, circumstance happened or uh, it, it, they ask peculiar questions and they sometimes make vague threats and then they mm-hmm. leave. And when and the it's um almost like a vampire visit in that 
it seems like they're clouding people's minds because when, <laughs> when they appear, right. they like people, despite how weird it is, people report mm-hmm. not not being able to comment on the weirdness at the time. It's only later when they're thinking back on it. They're like, wait a minute. Why did I even have that conversation? <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. So the whole neuralizer thing that's in the movies, The Men in Black, does that come into play in any anecdotes? Well, it wouldn't, would it? I mean, because theoretically, if that... (laughs) 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 But, I mean, if you... you, I think the way they they sort of handle that in, in these anecdotes is that people's I don't, their brains are clouded uh, during the experience. They get headaches yeah, or they, something like that. Well, and they just – they don't feel like – they don't feel – they put up with stuff they would never normally put up with and, and, and they don't know why. And so they, they attribute <laughs> it to maybe the, they were being hypnotized, you know, and maybe that okay. – I, I suspect that's where the, uh, the comic book got that idea. Um, right. I mean, to be fair – so I should mention this. Like, so <laughs> – Keel's in 1975, and in the 1990s, it's uh, Lowell Cunningham writes the comic book Men in Black, and then the comic book company that that created it gets eventually bought by Marvel. Uh, so the movie series uh, has been very successful, and in the movie series, they've got the black suits and the old car, black car, and then they've got the uh, the sunglasses. They've got a neuralizer. They are <laughs> working to subvert or suppress information about aliens. And all kinds of paranormal stuff. I think I believe in the comic book they covered all kinds of things, including like werewolves and vampires. So uh, it's yeah. I was going to ask you management. about that too. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. I was going to ask if there were any um, if there was any uh, relevance or, or if the MIB are related in any way to other kinds of paranormal phenomena like Bigfoot or like ghosts. And you say werewolves, that there's some kind of connection there. They may be. I like I say in the comic book they are, but I I don't remember reading anything in particular. But there's so much overlap, especially in the 1970s, with Bigfoot and UFOs. We probably should do mm-hmm. an episode about that because that seems to have fallen out of favor in the in the folklore or uh, reporting literature. But uh, it used to be a big thing that the sort of tie between Bigfoot and UFOs, and there's a lot of interesting stories out there about it. 
So in that yeah, sense, yeah. I can't the dimensionality. I, yeah, exactly. Things like uh, that. I, I, and yeah. I can't say for sure. I, I don't recall reading about any anecdotes about Men in Black related to Bigfoot, but that certainly does. Oh, you don't recall? Yeah, it may be that, right. <laughs> does, does it give you a headache? Well played. I'm getting a headache and I smell sulfur. How can you explain this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to ask you another question too. Earlier you spoke about the uh, Men in Black leaving. Do they ever return? Are there any stories of people saying they came back? Well, they came back for Bender lots of times. Um, I don't recall any okay. stories um, about multiple visits. In the, in, in, in the anecdotes, it's kind of like the Black Eyed Kids. They just show up, they do some weirdness, and then they leave. Uh, let's just say that if the, if the federal government had a neuralizer, they'd be using the crap out of it. So I think it would be right. way more popular than Twitter. We would never really know anyway. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Why is it that the men in black always seem to come in twos or – sometimes in threes why is it never just one man was, in black with the original sightings it was always threes um but okay. in some of the stories it's one uh especially the uh the, the stuff that john keel reports it sounds like men in black experiences but it's just one person showing up and asking peculiar questions and uh a okay. lot of his are uh, like uh do you know the ufo investigator john keel what would you say <laughs> okay. to someone who said they had seen a flying saucer? They talk really weird. Like, <laughs> like, like robots again. Right, like Android. robots. Right, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, they, it's, it, there's something artificial about the way they communicate. That's right. Maybe that's where the robot stuff comes mm-hmm. from. Uh, it, it sounds kind of like – Right, very robotic. It's like you're being in, you know, it's a, the speak and spell inquisition. Uh, I'm old, by the way. <laughs> that <laughs> – <laughs> That's a reference. Thank you. No worries. That happens. <laughs> Gosh, so uh, I'm not sure if you heard about this, but just in doing a little bit of research for this episode, a supposed encounter that Dan Aykroyd had. Have you heard of that story at all? No, no. So I was going to look this up when you, you and, and I didn't get to. So what, do you know, remember what he saw or what happened? Oh, great. Now you're putting me on the spot. Yeah. Like, well, that's how I. <laughs> well, I think he was. He was filming uh, some kind of documentary, and I don't know how long ago this was, uh, but he was uh, apparently in the middle of his filming and was having a conversation with Britney Spears at the time. I've, ha- I've had this dream. What? <laughs> yeah, <you> had- <laughs> well, it's not, not exactly the same as your dream or, or fantasy, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, this, this, these, these men in black appeared and basically um, – threatened him and warned him as well that he was not to proceed with this filming and with this research that he was doing into UFOs because we know that for some time he's had an interest in this area. And uh, I think they turned up in the the stereotypical black car and uh, with the the usual uh, cheap Pierre Cardin-like black suit and um, uh, gas station sunglasses and uh, anyway, so they, they threatened him and um, so that he wasn't to talk about this anymore. He wasn't to, to probe any further. And then the car disappeared. And it was about two hours later that he was contacted by the producers of the show. And they said, we have to stop filming. We can't proceed with this. And that was it. So ever since oh, then, he's oh, just oh, been. Oh, 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 they stopped the show. I have heard this story. I had forgotten about that. Okay, so yes, I have heard that story before. Yes, I totally forgot about that. He's got some interesting stories because he also saw a UFO, which has got that was, <laughs> I, which has one of the greatest elements to it, where it's like he's in um, 
I want to say he's in Martha's Vineyard. He's at his house, and as he puts it, I stepped out onto my uh, patio to take a leak in the night when I saw. <laughs> it was like what? You know, I was. I just stepped outside to have a leak, <laughs> as one does in their fancy house. You know. <laughs> <laughs> when he spots his UFO, and I think he goes and gets his wife to take a look at it too. Um, but you know, is the whole Blues Brothers link as well? Well, there's that's true. There's I some- mean, like yeah, that's really funny because you know, for, at least from a style perspective, uh, they definitely were uh, rocking the men in black garb, weren't they? Um, but uh, and yeah, I think that came first as well. So yeah, and so um, Ackroyd's got an interesting life. I mean, you know, obviously he's. Uh, very famous in paranormal circles for his interest in UFOs and ghosts um, and obviously for his comedy and for Ghostbusters. But there probably wouldn't have been a Ghostbusters if if it hadn't been for his his family. Is this, uh, was He grew up in spiritualism, like the classic spiritualism of, you know, you know talking to the dead spiritualism. So... Uh, wow. Well, yeah, that explains a lot then. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, his father actually wrote a book uh, on the history of the spiritualist movement and uh, Ackroyd uh, does the intro for it. So, yeah. It's, okay, well, let's do a show on him sometime, I think. We, we should do that. We should do that. It's, it's very, it's very, he has an interesting uh, life. I'd really love to talk to him. Uh, you know, I don't know if that'd be possible. Well, yeah, but, but uh, we but, might have to find something. But, I mean, he, I'm sure we have lots to talk about. He's, he's, he, you know, uh, I, I've just been looking back at a lot of the stuff for this Art Bell episode I've been working on. And uh, uh, he, he, his over. <laughs> His overlap with all this stuff is astonishing. So, I mean, uh, he, he is well plugged into the world of the, the paranormal, and uh, I'm sure he'd be a delight. Maybe we could attempt. Maybe there's a listener who has a connection somehow. <laughs> well, if he were going to talk to some skeptics, we're the right ones, right? <laughs> well, I think so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he's, uh, he, he's Again, like more, a good guy. Again, the more gentle skeptics. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm... Just wondering, because often when it comes to the, the MIB, uh, when people have uh, had an encounter with them, they stop their research. So they don't, like uh, like Dan Aykroyd, they don't proceed any further with whatever it is that they're doing. If they're writing a book or if they're uh, shooting a documentary or something, they stop what they're doing. So in that case, why aren't they also scared into silence? Why does it seem like uh, they still go public with their stories and talk about what happened? Wouldn't that be violating whatever threats and warnings they've received yeah, from the MIB. Th- that seems to be a narrative inconsistency, doesn't it? I, you know, it's like, on the other hand... It's like an it, urban legend style thing. It is. On the other hand, it's like if someone threatens your life, uh, maybe publicizing it is like a, a method of, of letting people know so in case you disappear. Protection. Yeah, you, like there's a breadcrumb or something left out there. Um, but Why? I think, and some people, I don't know how it is now, but it seemed like now... On Facebook, for example, you can still make fake profiles, but there's a lot more tying you to a real person's existence. But a lot of these stories come out of a time when people would be like, you know, Kangaroo Hat 33. <laughs> it's like, yes, yeah. you could you could be totally anonymous on internet message boards. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of the coolness of the internet's been lost as people have fallen off these message boards and gone strictly up into uh, Facebook and. That sort of social media stuff. I guess Reddit sort of. Twitter to some extent, but it also covers a lot of harassment too. Well, it's the threads. (laughs) Anonymity. The the, the threaded conversations. You can still get those on Reddit, uh, but uh, Mm -hmm. the the message boards. I know message boards are still out there, but 
uh, a few really successful websites seem to have dominated web traffic. So if you want to get into right. a, like a really niche uh, discussion, like it's not the way it used to be ten years ago. It used to you could get these fascinating discussions. You could go back years looking at the history, and now we're accustomed to interfaces that hide these things, and so you only get the most popular stories. And some really interesting stuff's lost uh, to the algorithm. Um, well, but I- but but I would get. I'm guessing it's the ability to anonymously post stuff that a lot a lot of this stuff came out of because people used to use. Uh, they would call into stuff like the Art Bell Show to talk about their experiences, and they would just go by their first mm-hmm. name. It, I mean, you get the story out there, but you wouldn't be famous. Yeah, which also lends itself to you know, fake stories and people certainly telling urban legends right? and just yeah, yeah, wanting some kind of fame. But uh, I wonder too if there's strength in unity with sharing your story somehow. That there are so many people out there telling their stories nowadays. It's kind of like speaking out against Scientology, maybe the safety in numbers. So, so I recall growing up in, um, you know, I, I think I've mentioned like in a, in a very evangelical fundamentalist sort of church environment. And one of the things that used yes. to happen, I think, uh, especially on the Wednesday night services, would be testimonials. People in the audience would okay. like uh, the congregation, not the audience. <laughs> <laughs> the people of the congregation would get up and and tell how God had worked in their life this week. And it mm-hmm. seemed like there was a lot of social pressure to have an interesting story, you know, about well, what I- had happened. And and I always wondered about some of those stories if if, if they were entirely true or if they were if people were just using it as an opportunity to, you know, uh Get some cred. Get some cred. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's reinforcing. I mean, it's uplifting. It's a lot of things, you know. It's it's yeah, they're yeah. inspirational. Communal reinforcement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of those things. I think well, sometimes I they were they, were they were kind of begging sometimes because they'd be talking about the hardships they'd gone through and that kind of thing. So yeah, there's a lot of things going right. on. Well, I, I have to ask you now because I'm sure our listeners are wondering: Did you ever have a testimonial? Did you ever have a story about a Men in Black? Um. <laughs> <laughs> As, as part of the audience or oh in church uh, uh, you know yes, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like they didn't like my men in black story at church they <laughs> <laughs> well if it was one of the more satanic ones then maybe that would have so, the uh did I ever have a testimony oh. in church I don't think so um I mean, I really? w- I witnessed. I, I went out and on mission tours and stuff. Uh, I, I okay. I, yeah, I mean, I just I, think I, with all of that peer pressure, that at some point you would have. You know, I was I was pretty like, young. Like speaking in tongues. You know, but we, we moved from that church to a church that that was not a big part of, and so mm-hmm. by the time I was old enough to probably have some interesting stories, uh, uh, I was not in a church that did that as part of the regular service. And then when I, you know, by the time I got back from the navy. Uh, my church attendance had become kind of lax. So, um, yeah, yeah. and then I had some great stories, but none of them were suitable for church. <laughs> <laughs> but that's exactly the thing they want to hear, I think. Well, they, Christian form. I think, yeah, if I had a thing about, like, you know, here's all these great stories, but I got over it. And, and now I've, you know, I've, now I've been forgiven and I don't live that sinful life anymore, you know. So I'm just wondering about uh, the just cultural aspects of the MIB. Are they only ever really found in the United States, or do we find them in other parts of the world? No, they, they're in other parts of the world too. Even even before Bender had explained his actual situation, 
there was already stories coming out of Australia. Um, so, oh, so they predate his story. Well, it was mysteriously tied. It was all tied to the IFSB. I can't help. But I'm very curious about the Australia case in particular because it was like the guy in charge of the Australian branch of the IFSB. Um, mm-hmm. And it, I don't think there's a clear answer, if I remember correctly, in, in, in Barker's book. So I don't, I don't, I haven't dug into that story anymore, and I don't know if the uh, guy who was having it won't let you. Well, I, I, I've been trying to get back to these primary sources, and um, they, there's so much. When you go back and read the primary sources, there's so much that that says, "Hey, this is folklore. You know, this is something that's being constructed socially in a group." as people share and repeat these stories, it doesn't come across as a real phenomena that's testable or um, it, I should, maybe real is not the right word. I'm not sure what the right word is, but it doesn't come across as something that's, that's happening in the physical world. It comes across as something that's happening in their minds. Um, and now, now as a skeptic, all I can say about that is that if that's the only place it's happening and that's the only place it's being experienced, then I, it's untestable and it's unscientific. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think in the paranormal world, there's people who would say, well, they're transdimensional beings. In the religious world, they're demonic. There's, there's all kinds of interpretations. Explanations. I, I, mm-hmm. Explanations. I, I, I'm inclined very much to feel that this was uh, stuff that was happening to a person who was having some mental issues. And because of his yep. secrecy around it, it led to other people to speculate and eventually confabulate is what I think happened. Um, and, and because he left that information vacuum, it just made everybody wonder, and all that wondering turned into creativity, and that's a very human thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So you think this really falls under the kind of category of conspiracy theories, in the sense that uh, there doesn't ever have to be an answer, and it could just keep going on forever. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. is in the sense that there really is anybody behind it. I don't think so. I I believe there have been individual cases. I mean, it's probably wrong to say a blanket statement like this ain't real, but there have been cases where people who were inclined to think about men in black have interpreted mm-hmm. visitations as being men in black, and there's been cases where people have reported men in black that pretty clearly they weren't describing any physical reality. So. Um, yeah, it, it's it's all over the place. Okay, so we're talking about the the men in black. Why aren't there or are there any women in black? It's because of uh, the deep uh, power of the patriarchy. Um, yeah, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> uh, being suppressed, they are. They are. It's like I they're they're skirting around that topic. So. <laughs> doing a little bit of research um myself have you yeah i I have not seen any whibs uh just just a little bit there was a there was a a guy called nick redfern have you heard of him at all (laughs) you're gonna make me choke of course i've heard of nick redfern yeah Yeah. Uh, (laughs) nick is uh nick Nick has probably written five books since we started this show (laughs) (laughs) yeah but he's written about 40 books or something i think nick writes a lot nick has a lot to say uh, so Nick, for our listeners who don't know, Nick is a British paranormal investigator. Uh, he's very mm-hmm. invested in the the uh, John Keel sort of ultra terrestrial hypothesis. Um, but yeah, he's, he likes to back out of interviews with skeptics as well. So yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, he would be an interesting person to talk to, but I, I don't think we'd have much in common. I, I shouldn't say that. We'd have lots in common with entirely different interpretations. So yeah. 
yeah. But I, I believe he has written a book called uh, Women in Black and that he has either had encounters or he's just compiled um, other people's stories of encountering women in black. So apparently they are a thing. Well, I apologize to Nick for not having gotten through his book yet or – the 39 other many. ones yeah, are the two well, yeah, he finished he had, he had just now. 39 others yeah. to, to go first. <laughs> Nick does write a lot of really interesting books. Um, we've talked. Oh, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Interesting stories. Yeah, yeah. I, I've uh, The Collins Elite is probably one of my favorite theories he's come up with, um, which ties into this John Keel stuff quite a bit, which is an idea that there's like a secret branch of the government that's uh, – looking at this stuff as demonic and is fighting it from a religious perspective, which could be true. I mean, the government's big and lots of people can do stuff in there. So I don't know, but, uh, it was, it all ties in. It's certainly interesting, but if we, Mm -hmm. it's a recurring theme on here, isn't it? You take any, any weird phenomena. Mm -hmm. If people took a drink every time I said phenomena or phenomenon, they would die of alcohol poisoning. They, <laughs> yeah, it could be some kind of bingo game. So, uh, but it, it, bingo. You take any. <laughs> if you take any Bigfoot bingo, if you take any, <laughs> like bingo, bingo. Oh, bingo stole my baby. So, <laughs> if you take edit, any edit. phenomenon. <laughs> They would be, <laughs> there would be people who would say it could be UFOs, it could be ghosts, mm-hmm. it could be uh, ultra-terrestrials, parallel dimensions. Um, it yeah, could there'll be, be different interpretations. Jen, it could be genie, you know, and then there will always mm-hmm. be the skeptics over here saying, well, if there's insufficient evidence, it's probably nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yeah. I, I, I feel bad Ooh. sometimes. It's like, how are they going to deny this one? Yeah, let's tune in and see. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, we're not the only ones anyway, but That's true. I suppose we should move on to uh, final few questions where we're kind of running out of time. We are. Sorry. Let's um, keep going. So, but let's keep on track here. Don't derail me. Mm. <laughs> so what what is the relationship then between the MIB uh, in the movies and I guess in TV shows and the folklore and the anecdotes? Are they the same thing? They they seem to be based on the same thing, although by the time they get to the movies, the the men in black are heroes, and I would say in the folklore they're generally considered to be uh, the baddies. I want to yeah, if if at a minimum they're suppressing information, uh, and mm-hmm. if you like information to be free, well then yeah they're bad. Uh, it, I don't know of any stories where they kill people because how would those stories come out? But uh, they they just. I mean, they just uh, – they don't seem Even to have – partial lobotomy. <laughs> uh, they tend to be malicious and malevolent in general. Uh, and, like, the best you could say about them is they're weird. Uh, I mean, that would be, like, the least harmful thing about them is that they're weird. Uh, and, and that's really not commonly captured in, in most of the media portrayals. But but they are uh, – in the stories, they, they, they just – they're trying to suppress the, the, the facts about UFOs, the knowledge of UFOs, and to keep people from digging. Like people think they're getting close, and then just when they're about to uncover the truth, that's when the MIB show up. So – MIB. The MIB. Are they ever pronounced as the MIB? I just did it. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. I guess that's a first. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. And then, of course, you've got uh, – and the movies are often – comedies it doesn't seem like with the anecdotes that there's any real comedy 
for the people who've had these experiences, it seems like they're pretty often it, pretty serious. They anyway. sound uh, when you read them, they sound really dark. But I tend to read them in like a Rod Serling kind of voice, and that tends to make them spookier <laughs> when I'm listening to it in my head. Uh, if, if I imagine if it was like Bobcat Goldthwait, it would be less scary, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, Gilbert yeah. Gilbert Gottfried reading Men in Black. I, I you know I'd probably have quite a few <laughs> chuckles, honestly. So uh huh. So it's I think that 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 matters. Yeah. So are there any other points that you want to raise before we ask the final question or any other things I've forgotten? If I had a key point, it would be. Uh, Going back and reading all this source material is difficult because these books aren't great. Uh, Bender's book was a slog. I, I did like Barker's book, and I, I enjoy reading Keel. But uh, it, it's like when I wanted to learn more about Indrid Cold, I went back and read uh, Woody Derenberger's book on uh, his adventures with the aliens from Lanulos. And it was so far away from all the cool things in the uh, Mothman Prophecies movie that it just, it was laughable. I, I mean, w- I went from like this scary interpretation of Indrid Cold to like a leave it to Beaver with sort of recreational nudity. It was weird. It was like a very. That's strange. It, it, was, it was weird. <laughs> it's quite, it, it's, it, it has a huge tonal difference, right? So. Um, <laughs> Woody portrays them in a very, uh, I, it's like leave it to Beaver in space with some. I, I just kind of mix it up in my head with, uh, <laughs> like I keep picturing this sort of like nudist volleyball thing. I mean, it's like everybody's super fit and athletic, and and, and it's just, it's just there's a big difference between the way these things get interpreted over time. It tends to go more and more spooky in the retellings and and streamlined, <laughs> and in the original stories are never like that. So if you go back to the source material. It's it's being hybridized, syncretized, and and turned into sort of this uh, really easy to spread, entertaining meme that is very far away from the original stuff. That's I guess that's the thing. And if you go back and read it, I guess guess what else? It doesn't sound very believable. It doesn't sound very believable at all. But you know, now we can tell it is part. It's not. It's not coming at us fresh from these old versions. It's coming to us new on a stack of fifty other stories and some really cool documentaries with great effects. And that's not the same thing. You know, it's just. Right. It's just not that creepy in real life. So yeah, right. But it's certainly very overwhelming with the amount of anecdotal evidence that's out there. Oh yeah, yeah. No, and it's just going to keep growing because that's what these stories do. And where have you been finding these? These. Uh, source materials primary sources just books or online or well library? Uh, so <laughs> going way back I, you know i they're in books uh the going back to the primary stuff is books so getting the original books by barker and bender do all ufo people have b names anyway no and there's keel uh <laughs> also uh going back to i went gosh i used to spend a lot of time in the 90s reading uh usenet groups and those had great UFO stories. And listening to Art Bell, Coast to Coast AM, uh, and just you know going on to a lot of UFO websites, listening to other podcasts, uh, you know. So now uh, it's it's grown. Um, the the lore is out there on a lot of old websites and new websites, and you know, mm-hmm. and it gets repeated. It's an echo chamber. 
So lots of places. I mean, like you, I, I've got a big library of this stuff too. But I, going back to the primary stuff has been about going – well, mostly it's been about going back to the books. There are some of these things in archives like the Saucerian News and these, these things. I'd love to get some of those archives, but I don't have them in my personal collection. Um, apparently there's Maybe a, one day. Yeah, uh, there's a great Barker reading room in West Virginia in the library uh, where his town, <laughs> his, his town, and I'd love to go up there and visit that. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know what yeah, all is in there. Sure. Yeah, but there's a few places I'd like to go. The problem is I've gone from legend tripper to library tripper, and it's it's harder to convince my family this will be fun, right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, no, no. We're gonna drive across uh, three states and then go to a library. It'll be great. <laughs> Maybe they can go and do something else. That's most of my vacations. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Who am I kidding? They'd be in the oh. pool. Mm-hmm. We could go to another country and they'll be in the pool. That's all they ever want to do is go to the pool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sounds like my boy. Hmm. <laughs> well, I guess just in closing, there's no point in me asking um, who was your favorite monster. I guess we'll be here all night if we, we do that. So we thought we'd talk about a variant on that theme. What's your favorite MIB portrayal or MIB portrayal? as we, we know them now, in film. So th- I guess technically this is it's TV, but um, in mm-hmm. the X-Files, they had an episode that's probably my favorite ep- X-Files episode. Um, and I'll say this, when I originally watched it, it was my favorite because I found it amusing. And now I find it to be my favorite because I find it to be really deep. Uh, but it's uh, it's called Jose Chung's From Outer Space. And it's kind of like the... Um, the Japanese movie Rashomon, where you get to see things from different people's perspective. And they're all telling one story, but it's got all of these really strange points of view, and you can't really trust any of the narrative. It's good. It's real good. But the most amazing thing is they have a tiny little segment where the men in black show up, and it is the most closest to a real men in black episode based on the like the way people really describe it in, in the I guess the most authentic sounding anecdotes uh, that I've ever right. seen put to screen. It, it's good. So if you have a chance to watch that episode, uh, do so. It's, it's really fun. I've seen snippets on YouTube. Yeah, we won't spoil it then. Yeah, it, it, it works best in the context of the whole episode. Uh, gosh, it makes me want to go watch it right now, honestly. That's not even a joke. So I might do that. <laughs> it's good stuff. All right. We've eaten up all your time, hey. Karen. <laughs> Yeah, oh, well, I've got four minutes. Come on. <laughs> it's been fun having you on the show. Maybe you'll join us again some other time. Yeah, I'll try to make it myself available. I'm really busy. <laughs> I know, I know. It. Maybe you can, I can pencil you in for a couple of months out. We'll something. see, Karen. We'll see. If you're not doing Bigfoot bingo. <laughs> <laughs> All right, have a good night. Uh, enjoy the quest, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving that in. Okay, see ya. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. Today you heard a discussion about the origins of the men in black from UFO lore. Links to many of the stories and sources discussed in this episode will be in our show notes at monstertalk.org. I can't endorse any of these stories as being scientifically real, but they're certainly interesting. Monster Talk is an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. Opinions expressed on this episode are those of myself and my co-host Karen, and don't necessarily reflect the opinions of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. 
Each episode, we strive to bring you the best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. There we have links to our Patreon pages as well as a donation button. A great way to support the show is to buy us books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindle, and we can share our digital library with each other. Finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please, share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk theme music's by Pete Stealing Monkeys. As always, thank you so much for listening. that you can now subscribe to Skeptic Magazine digitally? Just grab our free Skeptic Magazine app, currently compatible with iOS, Android, PC, Mac, Kindle Fire, Kindle Fire HD, and BlackBerry Playbook. Head over to skeptic.com magazine app to find out more and download more of your favorite Skeptic content. Oh, we've always wanted you on this show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, though? Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm uh, an improv comic and uh, an acrobat, and I've uh, been traveling with the, in a punster, and I've been traveling with the circus for most of my life uh, and selling Lucy cigarettes on the street, as one does. Whatever it takes to get Interesting. by. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I understand. Yeah. But I, I just found this <laughs> microphone, and I thought I'd just call whoever came up, and here you are. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.